0: Good morning, everyone. Boy, that was weak. Good morning, everyone. (laughs) Better. Better. Thanks. You know, as we think of uh, what Brother Kyle was giving to us there this morning of putting our trust in uh, Yahweh, uh, one of the verses of the hymn that we, one of the hymns we sang this morning there, uh, Father, like he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame he knows. In his hands he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. Very, very comfortable, comforting thoughts, if we think of those thoughts of the hymn and Brother Kyle's thoughts this morning. Thomas gave me this slide yesterday, and I'm not going to try to expand upon the slide. I think if we look at it, though, it does fall into what we are attempting to address this week. I'll let you think about that for just a moment. And really the only comment that I'd like to make is that the definition of success that we have been addressing this week and this quote here, this quote is by a fellow by the name of Peter Drucker, which I'm sure many of you may know of. Some of you in your business lives may have attended a seminar associated with his works and so forth. But both Peter Drucker and Tommy Newberry, who is the author of the definition of success that we've been looking at, both of these are business-oriented people. We think about their thoughts, and whether or not they realize it or not, their thoughts really are generated from God's Word. The thoughts that they have come w- come up with are nothing new. But they're thoughts that have caused them to feel that these things would help a person in their business life better. And I think if you think of the thoughts, the thoughts would help us in our married life. The thoughts would ha- help us in our uh, business life. And obviously, uh, hopefully, we think that the thoughts will help us in our spiritual life. So, success is not an accident. It is the inevitable consequence of right thinking and right actions. Okay. Very good. Very good. I think we've got it down pat now. Thanks. This morning our class is going to address the subject of walk because of our desire for redemption versus, think of Brother Wilton's talk last night, versus, Alienation because of our desire for redemption versus alienation. If you will, turn with me to Isaiah 8. A very, you've heard me say this over and over this week, but a very familiar passage to this group. Isaiah 8, verse 20. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. I'd like to read a quote uh, by a brother concerning this passage. The investigation of of the scriptures upon the various subjects we have considered must not be regarded as merely interesting study. These subjects are revealed to us as the constitution of God's plan of redemption so that all who desire to share in that plan may comply with the requirements And that they may do so intelligently and thus bring their minds into unison with God's mind in the great work they are privileged to participate in with a view of sharing its pro-offered blessings. A state of ignorance upon the fundamental doctrines of the plan of redemption is a state of alienation from God. It is only by becoming at one with him in mind that we can really be in the atonement he has graciously provided through Christ. This is a most reasonable requirement. Listen closely. For how would multitudes of ignorant creatures preserved eternally Be any honor to God. God requires His people to be instructed. He requires us to be corrected. He requires us to be reproved. He requires us to be exhorted. All as the means of enabling us to walk in the way of righteousness, which is the only way for us to be redeemed. It is ridiculous for people to cry out that in religious matters, they have a right to their own opinion. One brother asked the question, and we quote, how could man ever form an opinion that would be worth a moment's consideration considering a future life without a revelation from God? End of quote. Many people in the world today deceive themselves with the idea that it does not really matter what religion we believe, as long as we are morally good. Where do we go to find out what constitutes moral goodness? What is moral goodness? Can we be morally good in the sight of God if we do not believe God's teachings? Well, the verse that we looked at in Isaiah tells us that God has spoken and the first things to do in order to be morally good is for us to hear, for us to understand, and for us to believe what He has spoken. Then our actions or our walk should follow consistently with those teachings And then, and only then, will God be pleased. From John chapter 8, we are told, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free... Ye shall be free indeed. The thought of a kingdom in the sky, or the kingdom in our heart, or the church being the kingdom, is not the kingdom God preached, is not the kingdom God promised, and of which God's people are now heirs. Error cannot and will not serve the purpose of truth, no matter how earnestly or sincerely it may be believed. We must believe in the true God, the true Spirit, the true Christ, the true Kingdom, the true Resurrection, the true Immortality, the true Baptism, a combination of truths making the truth the one faith and the one gospel which alone will save and which will save only the true believer. As Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Look with me to Galatians chapter 1. 1, we'll, char- we'll start at verse 6. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto to another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. And dealing with the Ecclesia at Pergamos, let's look to the Apocalypse, chapter 2. Verse 14. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. Fellow students, to be a follower of Balaam, One had the the characteristic of covetousness, perverseness, presumptuousness, unrighteousness, a beguiler of unstable Israelites, and one involved in apostasy from the teachings of Christ. This word, Balaam, we know has the meaning, waster of people. And one brother says, and we quote, where such attitudes, excuse me, where such attributes of character meet in a class of persons, they are said in the New Testament to be following the way of Balaam, the sons of Bozar, and Balaam becomes the representative of the class, end of quote. We recall in the days of the apostles, there were false teachers in the ecclesial congregations whose motives, whose teachings and practices were that of Balaam. They were grievous wolves, wasters of the people, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. They taught that belief of the gospel and being baptized was was not enough, but that in addition to this, it was necessary also to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses, or men could not be saved. These are the types of people that I believe Brother Paul is referring to in Galatians 1. Those who were adding to or subtracting from the gospel which Jesus had taught. And why? Why were they doing that? We suggest that it was in order to popularize their doctrine and make it palatable or acceptable to the Jews. To gain numbers, maybe. As students of Scripture, we believe that Paul was preaching here... that what Paul was preaching here is that we must reject the dogmas taught by the clergy and agreed with by many concerning hell, souls, the devil, and also heaven. We feel that the Roman Catholic Church is mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of harlots, and abominations of the earth. We teach that we should detest these systems, and we urge each other that unless we continue to walk steadfastly in the gospel taught by Jesus and the apostles, we cannot be saved. Look with me, if you will, to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. second Thessalonians chapter 2 and we'll start at verse one. Now we beseech you brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto them, unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should Believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. If we recall Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. We'd like to give you a quote concerning this thought. There is no light in them. Now, it is notorious that the professors of the theological institutions of all sects and the clerical or ministerial orders of all denominations are grossly ignorant. This is interesting. Of what? The Old Testament writings. In presuming, therefore, to preach from or to explain the new, it is utterly impossible for them to speak according to Moses and the prophets. A man cannot speak in accordance with what he knows little or nothing about. The testimony, therefore, convicts them of utter incompetency. It declares them to be utterly without light, which is equivalent to saying they are in gross darkness. And this being the condition of the ecclesiastics, how awfully dark must the people they call the laity be, like priest, like people, Darkness added to darkness until it becomes Egyptian or darkness to be felt. End of quote. We cannot become sons of Balaam. We cannot allow false teaching among ourselves to turn some of us away from the teachings of Moses and the prophets. We mentioned this the other day, but you know, our young people may get tired of hearing about such things as the covenants of promise. They may get hear, get tired of hearing about such things as the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. They may get tired of hearing about the promises made to David. They may get tired of hearing us talk about the things that make up a kingdom and how that relates to the kingdom of God. But no matter how difficult it is to listen to those things, we pray that we never stop talking about those things. Because they are part of our understanding concerning God's word. Our Heavenly Father created the word. It is perfect. Not only is it not necessary for us to try and improve on his word by our being creative, it is utterly impossible for us to do so. Creativity has no place in our individual study and walk of God's Word. An open, objective frame of mind does have a place in our individual study and walk. As we presently have a low or a period of time when we are not spending all of our time trying to unify our community, as we presently aren't involved in as many heated arguments or debates between ecclesias as we might have been in the past, now fellow students, we suggest is the time for us to collect our thoughts and be prepared to discuss in the future only scriptural teachings and questions. Our concern should be to watch out for incorrect doctrine. Watch out for incorrect teachings. Watch out for incorrect walk. Concentrate on disagreeing with each other because of incorrect teachings of Scripture, incorrect walk, and not because of personality differences. If you will turn with me to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we'll start at verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly or completely furnished unto all good works. We're all very familiar with this passage of Scripture. We quote from it often. And after we do so, then what do some of us do? we suggest that what some of us do is to go right back to our favorite sections of Scripture and continue to study. And I can say that because that is a personal challenge for me. I got the reputation of always talking on the book of James. I've tried to avoid going to James very much this week. But if you look at my book of James... One of the reasons I can't go there, I can't read it. The ink has you know, you know how if you use the wrong kind of ink, but I really have a problem there. Maybe that's a reason maybe that's a help to keep me from going there so much. We don't make ourselves delve into a new section that we haven't spent much time in. And if we are guilty of this type action, then fellow students, we are not completely furnished. Unto all good works. It is only through the study of God's entire Word that we come to the realization of the two main divisions or relationships that man finds himself in. We use these two expressions often in Adam and in Christ. And we know our study of scripture that being in Adam represents the dominion of sin and death. While being in Christ represents the dominion of righteousness and life. We know from this word that as long as we remain in Adam, all we can hope for is what sin's dominion can give us, that being a sorrowful life of alienation from God, ending in death. However, we have come to know through the scriptures of God's word that if we change our relationship from in Adam to in Christ, we can only do so by putting off the old man with his deeds entering the waters of baptism, and putting on the new man to do what? To walk in newness of life. And how all of this relates and deals with our individual lives is only explained by our Creator in His inspired Word given to us through the prophets and the apostles. The covenants of promise that we keep, referring to over and over, are the covenants that God made with man since his fall in Eden. All of these covenants embody the gospel message that we contend that Scripture teaches. To be a stranger of these covenants is to be without hope. And without God in the world, God does not become reconciled to those in Adam, only to those in Christ. This teaching is only taught in God's inspired word. Look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Brothers and sisters, fellow students, when we continue to study, when we continue to teach, when we continue to walk according to the gospel that is explained in God's inspired word, we then fall into those spoken of, and let's look at it, in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll start at verse 19. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built up the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. We would like to close uh, this, these thoughts that we're looking at this morning of walking because of a, our desire for redemption versus alienation with a couple of thoughts. Look at Revelation eighteen and four. Revelation eighteen four and I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. If we partake of her sins, there is no escape for us from the infliction of the punishment and plagues that are predicted. But our choice, brothers and sisters, is to follow God's inspired word. And we wish to follow the thoughts of Ephesians. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2. starting at verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts Establish you in every good word and work. For those of you that sat through our class a little earlier this week, our second class was we want to walk because apathy, spiritual ignorance, and complacency are unacceptable with God. I'm surprised that none of you came up to me after that class and said, Brother David, you didn't even talk about anything concerning spiritual ignorance. That was the class that I fumbled around in my notes because I knew I had too much material for that class, looking at the clock. clock. So I had hoped that later on this week we'd be able to maybe address the portion of that class that we did not look at. And we've got a few minutes this morning. And when I was going over my notes last night, I saw that possibly we would have. So if you will bear with me, I would like to go back and look at a few thoughts along those lines. Walk because spiritual ignorance and Is unacceptable with God. We've already looked at apathy and complacency. If you will, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3, and we're going to start at verse 13. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth. By understanding has he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths are broken up and the clouds drop down the dew. My son, let not them depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down in thy sheep. Shall be sweet. Thy thy sleep shall be sweet. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence, and shall keep thy foot from being taken. The words ignorant or ignorance that we find in verses 38 through 40, well, that we find, not verses here, we find these words, ignorant and ignorance, 38 to 40 times in Scripture. And one of the Greek words used is A-G-N-O-E-O, which has the meaning of not to know, not to understand, And many times it is implied that it is by one choosing to ignore or not putting forth effort to understand or to grasp. Another way to define it would be being disinterested or ignorance through disinclination or dislike or lack of desire. Look with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, we'll start with verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Look at chapter 11, verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Chapter 14, verse 38. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Throughout Scripture, we are given much concerning the Israelites. We know that we can gain a wealth of information and instruction if we simply study and observe the history of God's chosen people. And our thoughts for the next few minutes concerning spiritual ignorance can be developed by looking at several passages passages dealing with the Israelites. The prophet Isaiah, in dealing with Judah's universal corruption and their wickedness, says in Isaiah 1, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. What then does it say? But Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Once again, concerning the Jews' sins, in chapter 59 of Isaiah, we are told, But their iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. From the inspired word of Jeremiah, we learn similar thoughts concerning God's thoughts of the Jews. Jeremiah 5, verse 4. Therefore I said, Surely these are poor, they are foolish, for they know not the way of the Lord, nor the judgment of their God. Put another way, they were spiritually ignorant. Amos, in dealing with God's judgments against Israel, informs us from chapter 3, verse 10, For they know not to do right, saith the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. And it's interesting to note that from the same chapter, verse 7, we find this instruction. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but He revealeth His secret Unto his servants, the prophets. We know that believing the prophets was one of Israel's shortcomings. They were either disinterested or disliked or had a lack of desire for what the prophets expounded to them. Micah chapter 4 tells us Now also many nations are gathered against thee that say, Let her be defiled, and let her eye look upon Zion. But they know not the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand they his counsels. For he shall gather them as the sheaves into the floor. This passage we see deals with the thoughts concerning the gathering of the nations that are spiritually ignorant of God's word and God's plan. Those who have not learned have not come to a proper understanding of His will. And from Zephaniah chapter 3, Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger. For all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then will I turn to the people of a pure language, that they may, know, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent." Fellow students, it will be a time when the nation of Israel will no longer be spiritually ignorant. If we think back to the reading, uh, let's, well, we won't go there. Uh, Back to the reading from Romans 10 that we started with. Legally, they knew of him, but spiritually, they were ignorant. They were stubborn. They were unwilling to humble themselves to the teachings of the Father's Word because those words were not their thoughts. They chose to ignore the will of God. Look with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. We've already looked at that passage today. But we see that Paul, speaking here of spiritual ignorance... In connection with some of the Gentiles, we might ask the question what is the cause of spiritual ignorance? That's a real tough question. What is the cause of our spiritual ignorance? Lack of effort. Lack of effort. Very good. Lack of effort to do what? Study, Study God's Word. Lack of effort to study God's Word. I'm sorry, what what type? Limited ignorance. Limited ignorance. Brother Robert? Misplaced Very good. Incorrect focus. Misplaced priority. Very good. Inherited ignorance. Inherited ignorance. Willingly ignorant. We choose to be ignorant, don't we? Because of a lot of the things that have already been said. Look in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And we'll look at verse 3. But He said unto them, Have ye what? Not read... What David did when he was in hunger, and they that were with him? Look at chapter 19. And this goes to the point of some of the answers that were given. Chapter 19, verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, What does he say? Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Look at chapter 22. And you know I've only picked a few. There are many that just read the same thing over and over. Matthew 22, verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. So again, why was there spiritual ignorance according to these references? Because of the ignorance of God's Word. The Companion Bible points out that the phrase, have ye not read, that we saw in a few of these verses, is a question asked by Christ on six different occasions. So our Savior seems to emphasize the thought of ignorance of his Father's word by using this phrase, have ye not read. Let's look in uh, Luke chapter 19. I think in this verse we can see Christ's frustration, Christ's disappointment, and, and hurt, I would say, when he weeps over Israel. 19, starting at verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in an in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. and they shall not leave in th- leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou, how sad thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. And then we'd like to close this thought by looking at Second Corinthians, Chapter Three. Second Corinthians, Chapter Three, and Verse Fifteen. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. I would just merely like to say, because I know some of you probably leaving today, that I have truly enjoyed uh, our study this week. Um, You know, I know... When different ones of us get up here, uh, you may not relate to my personality, uh, and I realize that you know sometimes we may not be able to communicate. But my hope and prayer this week is that something has been said from God's word, not from David Boston, but from from God's word that has helped you uh, in your walk as you return to. The world in which we live. I truly appreciate your uh, your patience and your attention. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. Everyone got smaller this morning. So many times, you know, when we're singing our hymns and praise to God, I don't really think of the words as I should. This morning we said, Through every period of my life, my praise to thee shall grow, till in the kingdom of thy Son... All praise to thee shall flow. Those are great thoughts to contemplate and think of as we leave our school. Um, I'm not going to have anything to say at the end of my comments this morning. So I do want to say up front again, thanks to all of you for a great week. Thanks to all of you for your comments, uh, your additions your suggestions. I appreciate that very much. And we truly have enjoyed being with you this week. Okay, we're all together this morning. We know it well. Success is not an accident. It is the inevitable consequence of right thinking and right actions. Very good. You deserve a hand. You did well. Our last class this morning is going to address the subject of walking or walk because of our hope we must abide and endure. Because of our hope we must abide and endure. And as we think of the definition of success that we have said or quoted this week, let us dwell on this thought. And this thought was presented by a brother in our meeting a few weeks back in his morning exhortation. And I quote, The inspired word of God replaces our carnal mind with a mind of Christ. And if our, mind, if our mental outlook is changed, then it stands to reason that our actions will also undergo change and be governed not by fleshly desires, but by the requirements of God. End of quote. If you will, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Verse 14. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Verse 17, and the word passeth away, world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Verse 24, let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. Verse 27. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Look at Second John. Verse 9, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Back to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, verse 34. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have, have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. And then to First Peter, chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 25 But the word of the Lord endureth forever and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you The word abideth used in 2nd John comes from a word meno M E N O which has the meaning to remain to continue And this same word is used when we read the word endure or endureth in the Hebrew and the 1 Peter reference. As we bring our walk class to an end for the week, we like to address the thoughts contained in this word meno or to remain or to continue. And I might add that these thoughts by no means will be anything new to any one of you in this audience. But it is your teacher's belief that these thoughts are critical words of Scripture that we as believers must keep in our minds if we are to overcome our trials and tribulations, our personality differences, and the aspect of the world we live in each day, which are in direct opposition to God's word of truth that each of us cherish. For the lack of time in this class, uh, we will be referring to several scriptures, but I'm not going to ask you to turn them up. I really ask that you just listen and hopefully let the scriptures sink into our hearts this morning as we close our class. We learn from the scriptures that knowledge is a very essential element in the matter of our salvation. In Proverbs 19, the wise man said, The soul without knowledge, it is not good. Isaiah wrote of Christ, By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many In 1 Peter, we find that grace and peace are to be multiplied to believers through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Men escape the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we recall that Jesus says, This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. From these verses, we remind ourselves that the knowledge of the truth is indispensable to the obtainment of eternal life, or that without such knowledge, it is impossible for us to be saved from death. The Apostle Peter has sent to the house of... Uh, when sent to the house of Cornelius with these words, whereby he and his house were to be saved. Since the apostles have died, and it is no longer possible to hear their words from their lips, these words have been written, and are like the things written aforetime for our learning. And whoever believes the saving truth, believes it through the written word of God. We realize that the writings of the apostles are scriptures quite as much as those of the ancient prophets of Israel. We know that these writings are the results of the revelations that were made to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Having the word of prophecy more confirmed in our day and age, We, brothers and sisters, fellow students, we should give heed to it as a light that shines in a dark place. The word of our Heavenly Father, when received in a good and honest heart, is not a dead letter, but it is a quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart or of our heart. God's word is not only quick or living, but it tells but it is able to quicken the mind in which it finds lodgment. Jesus said, "It is the spirit that quickeneth." The means by which this quickening is brought about are the words of Jesus of which he said in John chapter 6, "The words which I speak unto you, our spirit and our life. The psalmist also says in Psalm 119, Thy word hath quickened me. The apostle Paul wrote, Wherefore, as the Holy Spirit saith unto thee, saith today, If ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. He therefore who obeys the commandments of the apostles, and follows their instructions is led by the Spirit of our Creator. We believe and teach that the only scriptural way to convert sinful mankind is by teaching them God's ways. And we teach that whoever is not converted in this way is not built upon the foundation which God has laid. We recall the words of Isaiah 55 concerning God's word. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and and prosper in the things whereunto I sin it. The only scriptural way to convert sinful man is by teaching them God's way. And whoever is not converted in this way is not converted built upon the foundation which Yahweh has laid. If we recall the reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, we were exhorted that the word of the Lord endureth how long? Forever. We quote from one commentator's thoughts on this verse. Yahweh's word is immovable, fixed, permanent, amidst all the revolutions on earth and the fading glory of human pomp and power. His truth remains unaffected. Its beauty never failed, fades. His prophecies never fail. Christ will return to consummate the proposed initiated purpose initiated at his first advent. Meanwhile, There is not an object of natural beauty on which we pride ourselves that will not decay. But the word of God, epitomized in the gospel, is enduring and fadeless. It will lead to eternal life and to a glory that shall have no end. End of quote. We are closing our classes this week on the thoughts of Walt by emphasizing the importance or the important connection between the scriptural words abide and endure as they relate to sound doctrine. That sound doctrine is an essential element in our salvation. And I might just insert here. By no means do I feel Brother Ken has not done an excellent job on doctrine this week. The only reason I bring up the subject of doctrine in a walk class is that I personally think that as we cannot separate faith and works, we cannot separate doctrine and walk. Doctrine is teaching. It is God's teaching concerning Himself and His purpose in relation to man and the earth. And this doctrine will save both the teacher of this class and all those in the audience if we take heed and walk in it. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. The Apostle Paul, who by the Spirit was shown to show things to come, said to Timothy, Preach the Word. Be instant in season. Out of season. Reprove. Rebuke. Exhort with all longsuffering. And what? Doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. That men have turned their ears from the truth to fables is evident, brothers and sisters, as we look at the so-called religious world around us. There are very few doctrinal lectures or sermons that are given in our day and age. Many of the teachings are that it might it matters not what we believe if we are merely honest and sincere individuals who lead good moral lives. One brother offers this observation and we quote, the thoughtful reader has doubtless noticed that there is no record of any public prayers in connection with the preaching of Jesus and the apostles. When these divinely commissioned and spirit-filled proclaimers of God's truth came before the people, they had a positive message to deliver. And this they did faithfully whenever and wherever the opportunity presented itself they performed with vigor the duty devolving upon them without engaging in repetitious public prayers or calling upon uninstructed and unreconciled men to join them in singing and prayer as modern evangelists do without the slightest show of authority. End of quote. From John chapter 9, we are reminded, Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God, and doeth his will, him he heareth. Romans 6 tells us, The true worshipers are they who have from the heart obeyed that form of doctrine which was apostolically delivered who have become reconciled to God, who by baptism into Christ have put on Christ. These individuals have a mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We as brothers and sisters and students of God's Word cannot afford to trust our salvation to any individual, but only to the word and the doctrine of Yahweh. We cannot comprehend what kind of a world we would live in today had men and women of previous generations based their religious teachings upon conclusions after investigation and test based upon God's scriptures. Had this been done since the days of the Apostles, we, brothers and sisters, undoubtedly would be experiencing a more rewarding existence within the religious community. We realize that if the various names of Christendom, Catholic, Protestant, were being led by the one spirit of the one God, there would be no divisions among them or between us and And them. We would speak the same thing and be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul in 1 Corinthians admonishes, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. 1 Peter exhorts us, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom by praise and dominion forever and ever. So that those thoughts by such individuals, instead of being confused, instead of being bewildered, would be instructed with wholesome words of sound doctrine and filled with the knowledge of God. For those in the audience that have not reached the decision of wanting to serve and glorify God and having not fully realized that being aliens who need to be adopted into the family of God by being baptized into Christ and becoming an heir according to the promise made to Abraham, our prayer is that each of you will submit your selfish desires and direct your paths to the truth as it is in the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. For those of us who have rendered obedience to the gospel in the appointed way through the waters of baptism, we may, may we truly abide and endure in Yahweh's inspired word through both knowledge and obedience. In closing these thoughts, we would like to ask you to turn up a couple of passages which address this word, mino, or abide. Let's look at Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, where Paul addresses his readiness or his willingness to glorify Yahweh. Philippians chapter 1, and we'll start at verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh this is the fruit of my labor yet while I what I shall choose I want not for I am in a strait betwixt two having desire to depart and to be with Christ which is far better nevertheless to abide in the flesh is more needful for you and having this confidence I know that I shall abide and continue with you all of your all of your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ, for me by my coming to you again. <clears throat> Look at first uh, Peter again, First Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1, verse 22, dealing with God's abiding word. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto the unfeigned love of brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth Forever. Fellow students, the gospel is a call to each of us to its acceptance, to its obedience, to the commandments of God, to service in his cause, to such there will be the grand and final message Come ye blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, which we know is from Matthew. So, as we close our class, we ask that we try and open our minds for just a few moments, a couple of minutes, and let the following penetrating thoughts be absorbed so that we may leave today and go back into the world that we live in with strength to walk according to God's inspired word, so that we better serve and glorify his name prior to our Savior's return. And most of what you're going to hear now is a quote. Most of it, as I said at the very first day, as far as my acknowledgments, most of it is from writings in the Hope Letter, It is no light thing to enter God's covenant. It is no light thing to enter God's covenant. It is the most far-reaching and sacred step one can take. It imposes responsibilities that can never be thrown off without, without an accounting. When we enter this covenant... We become new creatures. The breach that was made in Eden through transgression of God's law, by which man is estranged from God, has been healed. For there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For they have been washed, covered, and clothed. A reconciled, pardoned, justified, "...and sanctified Son of God, dwelling no more in the tents of wickedness, but of the household of faith, a branch of the righteous branch, a participant in Israel's commonwealth. Israel was a holy and separated people unto Yahweh. It was through them He made known His will and His purpose." They were distinct people because God chose them versus all the other nations. It is declared, you only have I known of all the families of the earth from Amos. Of course, Yahweh knew the other nations, but not in the sense that he knew and loved Israel. Israel was the only nation that was politically in God. They were the only nation that received definite and positive laws, obedience to which brought them temporal and promised future blessings. If they had followed these commands and not turned aside to worship of of gods of, of wood and stone, they would have remained in the ascendancy. But failing to do this, dire punishment came upon them. These things have been left on record as warnings to spiritual Israel. For we, like Israel of old, have said, when we entered into the covenant relationship with God, all that the Lord hath said, we will do. The falling away of the early ecclesia into the apostasy was not caused by outside forces. It came about through its own professed friends, a denying of the faith, dissensions, and bickering from within. As long as God's people stand firm, upon the foundation of their faith, as long as they adhere to the principles of truth and manifest by their words and actions, they are sincere, outside opposition only acts as a tonic and spurs them on to greater conquest in the cause that they have espoused. It is trouble and dissension from within that destroys the peace and harmony harmony and solidity of the ecclesia of God. Like a cancer, these things eat into the very vitals. As saints of God having fellowship with the Father and the Son, we are called into a high and holy calling, The sacredness of our position comes home to us as we think among these things and as our relationship to one another becomes real and lasting, bound together as it is in the bonds of the covenant. The thoughtless word, the unkind act, or insinuation has no place in our associations with each other. Our religion is no longer a passing thought. It is something that draws and binds. Maybe I should add, it should be something that draws and binds. We visualize together the things the prophets have left on record. We see the joy set before them and us all manifested and brought to fruition in the life of the Master. We see the future as the real morning without clouds, as the morning when all creation will rise in mass and acclaim the glories due His holy name. Brothers and sisters, in the face of all these glorious things, can it be a question whether, brethren, should from conflict cease. Tis in union, hope and joy and love increase. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Fellow students, let us not despair. The day of redemption draweth nigh, nearer and nearer, "'approaches the hour of that terrible collision "'upon the mountains of Israel of which we have read, "'when the host of God descends to take a spoil "'and to take a prey "'from the partially reto- restored wonders wanderers of Israel, "'and when the long, pent-up wrath of Yahweh "'blazes forth on behalf of His long-persecuted "'and downtrodden people.' For the day of vengeance is in mine heart and the year of my redeemed is come. He will tread down the oppressor. He will bring down their strength to the earth. Nearer and nearer draws the day when the once crucified, the once dead and buried, but now exalted Jesus comes forth from the heavens to tread the winepress of Yahweh's wrath, to take possession of His own to fulfill those ancient covenant promises which were confirmed by his death, and to flood the earth with the glory of God from pole to pole. Nearer and nearer draws the day when the lightning flashes of of his wrath will be seen at play in the earth. And the wicked of the earth will groan and the tyrants tremble And they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he ariseth to shake terribly the earth. And the loftiness of man shall be bowed down and the haughtiness of men shall be made low and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Darker and darker grows the night. The shadows deepen, and how soon we cannot tell, but we still hear sounding through the gloom the midnight cry Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. How would that cry affect you and me? How will that cry affect you and me, brothers and sisters? Are we waiting expectantly to hear the herald's voice? What of what our lamps? Are they well trimmed? Have we oil in our vessels? Or are they just flickering and ready to go out? It will be too late to replenish our stock then. Let us be wise now open our hearts to the living Christ, reciprocate his wondrous love. When brothers and sisters, fellow students, when the cry is heard and the bridegroom come, we will enter in with him to the marriage and participate in all its gladness and joy. Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.